Welcome to the Greater Church Podcast. We are praying that wherever you find yourself on the journey, that this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. And now, here's today's message. John chapter 7, verse 38. It says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has says, out of his mouth, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. John chapter 7 verse 38 in the New King James or I'm sorry in the King James version it says whoever believeth in me as a scripture has says out of his belly will flow rivers of living water heart or belly it means the innermost part of a man the innermost part of a woman is what the translation is here and over the next few minutes I want to speak to you from this idea this title if you're taking notes and I hope that you do um Holy Spirit living filled Holy Spirit living spilled I'm sorry Holy Spirit living spilled let's pray Um, Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for who you are. Um, Father, I pray that every plan of the enemy, Lord God, um, every ancient trick, Lord God, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bind it, that you would open up our hearts. Um, Father, that you would allow for me, John 3.30, let me decrease that you may increase, Lord. You speak to us. In moments, Lord God, where these subjects, Lord, have been taken and misconstrued Lord I pray that I could just bring clarity allow for your Holy Spirit to bring revelation clarity Lord God um, that it would be as as though it is a morsel of bread Lord God and Father we love you we thank you for who you are what you've done thank you for the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the filling the empowerment of the Holy Spirit Lord God Father we love you and we thank you Jesus it's in your precious name in the name of Jesus that we pray Lord amen and amen come on one more time would you put your hands together for Jesus in this place come on My God, I got a lot of content, but I'm going to cover. Y'all came to school today. Hey, uh, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we started this message a few weeks ago. In it, um, uh, Pastor Jason came up and preached a beautiful message about living life in the desert and what does it look like in those dark moments. Um, but today, we're picking up from last week, which we preached a message called the Living Field. And um, a few weeks ago... Uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit, how scripture says that he comes around us and how he dwells with the unbeliever. A Holy Spirit does not live a holy. The Holy Spirit does not live inside of the life of unbelievers. Um, oh, I, I hate I hate using that word. I feel like these terminologies have created such a division. But those who haven't called on the name of Jesus, who haven't given their life to Jesus, um, they, the Holy Spirit doesn't reside inside of them, but he's around them. And so we talked about it in John 14, 15 through 18. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Somebody say helper. And that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. There it is. So the world cannot receive it because it neither sees him nor ignores him, but you know him. And watch this. He will dwell with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, he comes alongside of unbelievers and he does one job. And the job that he does is that he convicts. Now that word convicts is not the same as condemnation. The word convict is when you are charged with a crime, you will go to a trial and whether you lose, if you lose, you then will be convicted of something and then the end result is that there's a sentence. Whether that means that you have to pay out a certain amount of money or you have to pay out a certain amount of time with your own life, there has to be a judgment. There has to be a sentence that comes from that conviction. And so the Holy Spirit, he comes alongside of unbelievers and he convicts them of sin 
not sins plural of sin and scripture says or Jesus says the, the the conviction of sin because they don't believe in me and so the Holy Spirit convicts you of that unbelief where you can say yo hold on God is real because God is not going to convict you of a million sins that's the symptoms the actual disease is unbelief and when you switch that then you can stop smoking then you can stop drinking then you can stop having sex with her because if you keep trying to do it on your own you'll never get to that space sin will leave you for about a, a week a month, some of us, it might leave us for a couple of years and it feels like the pandemic hit and all of a sudden now you're back in front of the screen for another four hours all through the night because what you thought you mastered outside of Jesus has come back now. I got too deep. I'm at the beginning. Stop, Chino. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Righteousness because, yo, only Jesus can go to the Father. We have sin in our life. And so we can't come to the Father unless we go through Jesus. And then of judgment because at the end of the age, there's going to come a moment where the wheats and the tares are going to be separated. God doesn't send anybody to hell. In fact, Matthew 11 says that hell wasn't created for us. And I'd be a bad preacher if I don't give you the other side of heaven and the glory for you to understand that hell was created for the devil and his angels according to Matthew 11. And it's not that God sends us there, but if we walk our way, do it our way, by ourselves the way we want to do it, eventually we walk into a devil's hell instead of repentance, which means to make a 180 turn, not just with your physical body, with what you do, but also with your mind, your heart, your spirit, that you completely turn away from your past and you begin to walk towards God. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and he convicts you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Only to get you to a place, not of condemnation, but a place of life. Because when you respond to sin, yo, I'm a sinner. I screwed up, Jesus. I need you. Then he saves you. But if you say, ah, you know what? I don't, I commit, I don't do sins. I don't, you know, I don't do bad things. I'm a good person. Then he's going to convict you of righteousness. You're, you're not good enough. Scripture says that God desires perfection. And if you're not perfect, then you're not in the will of the Father. And if you get to the place where you still have it after sin, after the conviction of righteousness, and you still haven't done that, then he'll convict you and tell you there's an eternal place that I don't want you to go. But the hope and the desire and the, the joy that I see across this room is that so many of us have turned from our ways and we've actually submitted to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we've given our life to Jesus and we've shifted not from being bad people to becoming good people, but from being dead people to becoming alive in the spirit because of the power of Jesus. Come on, can y'all make some noise for Jesus with that? Amen. So what happens is the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you. But then all of a sudden, then the Holy Spirit comes in. He lives and he indwells inside of you. Ephesians chapter 1 verses, uh, verse 13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Here it is. In whom also having believed you were sealed. Somebody say sealed sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what happens is that when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes residence and begin to live inside of you. So it's like a child living inside of a mother's belly. Um, and and uh, men, we don't know what that, uh, unless you went to Taco Bell like at two in the morning, we don't know what that's like, you know what I mean? For a child to be moving inside of you. And that's what the Holy Spirit, he lives inside of us. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in, somebody say me me do you not know that the God that you are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you so we we are filled so it's this thought of us being filled the Holy Spirit resides inside of us and then last week what we talked about is the spilling so you're filled to be spilled so this is what that means um when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 scripture says that it 
flooded the room where they were at. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And there was the sound as of a rushing wind. And they began to speak. There were tongues of fire on them. They began to speak in tongues and they were filled. And then what happens is that immediately after that, remember, they were just filled. Somebody say filled. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and he begins to preach. This was Jesus' job. So what Acts, what happens in Acts, and I, I'm going to ask if somebody, do me a favor, can I get another bottle of water? Somebody give me another bottle of water. Keisha, appreciate you, Keisha. And so what happens is that they were filled, right? And then Peter begins to be spilled. He starts to preach. Remember, Jesus was the only one that was preaching up until then, but now there's 3,000 people. Scripture says that over 3,000 people get saved from that one message, right out of them coming out of the upper room right? So he was filled. But then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 3, he's walking into church and there's a man that's laying on the side of the road who was lame from birth. And the man asked for money. And what Peter, John do, is they say silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have we now give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And this man who was lame from birth, who never knew how to walk because he never walked before. Scripture says he walked, he began to run and then, run, and then he started leaping. So immediately God begins to skip steps. And it was through a word that was spoken because Peter was filled and then he was spilled, right? But then it happens again. Scripture says that because of that, the religious leaders grab them. And I hate it because it's even at the times we live in now, the religious leaders, they grab them and they say, it doesn't make sense. We don't understand this. And what we're going to do is that we're going to arrest you because you can't do that. You can't heal people. <laughs> and in that conversation, Peter is standing there and they begin to tell him, they begin to talk amongst each other. And they say, honestly, we got to be careful because we can be fighting against God. And so we have to be careful with this. So we're going to release them and let God deal with it if it's really God. And so they warn Peter and they say, Peter, you can't preach this name no more. They beat him. They hurt him. But you can't do this anymore. And Peter says, all right, cool. Acts chapter 4. Then Peter, watch this, filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, he had just been filled in Acts chapter 2. He is refilled again and he begins to speak to them, telling them, I don't know if it's right for me to obey you, but I know it's right for me to obey God. And today what I want to do is that I want to obey God. And being filled with the Spirit, he speaks this. They release him. He gets out of jail and he goes back to the upper room where everybody was filled before Acts chapter 2. And look at what the scripture says in Acts chapter 4 verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken and they were, use that word, filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. They had been filled again. So we see a continual spilling. We see a moment where a man is filled, but then all of a sudden we see where the man is spilled. And then you see as this space is created, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes back in and refills them again. So here's what happens. Acts chapter 9, Paul, he's murdering Christians. Some of the movies that you've seen where they threw people, they throw people in a coliseum and then they bring lions out and the lions killed them. Do you understand that that was your heritage? Those were real Christians that they were throwing into these coliseums and that they were killing them. They were allowing for lions to rip them apart. One of the people who was consenting to this, in fact, he was going from city to city, pulling people out of church, pulling people out of, I don't know if you remember 2008. And some of, some of my Hispanic people were here in 2008. I think it was like, no, I'm sorry. It was like, yeah, 2006 to 2008, there was this huge uh, immigration deal where they were coming into churches and they were grabbing people who had immigration statuses and over 2.1 million people were, were deported during that time. And could you imagine you just being in a church and all of a sudden for the police to walk inside of a church and to begin to ask you for papers and for them to pull you out? 
Well, Peter, I mean, I'm sorry, Paul was doing that to the extent that he was taking the people out of there and he was killing them. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit arrests them. Come on, bring that over here. I should have told y'all to do that before. I'm going to act like I did know that. And we, this is all prepared. We're not going to say nothing. Okay. I need a, yeah. So here it is, right? So, so Paul, he has been killing Christians he, under, the, under the hand of God. Oh my God, I'm doing everything right. I'm killing all these Christians. And all of a sudden, Peter, I mean, Paul, God gets him. He blinds him and Paul gets saved, radically saved. And God goes and tells Ananias, Ananias, I need you to go back to, to Paul. You remember the, the guy who killed all the Christians? He, he tries to remind God, God, I don't know if you know this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like this Saul guy, he's a big deal. You know what I mean? And God's like, go back to him. And scripture says that he went back to them. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. I got to get into this message. I'm giving you a recap. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. So here's what happens. All of a sudden now, Paul is filled with the Spirit. Here it is that Paul now is filled with the Spirit, right? Paul goes to a city and he goes to preach to a, a, a governor of the city. And when he goes to preach, he was, it was called the proconsul. When he goes to preach to this governor of the city, all of a sudden this man who was endowed with the devil, he comes in and he begins to discredit everything that Paul says. And he begins to speak ill and speak bad lies about Paul. And so the proconsul is kind of like, man, I don't, this is the governor. He can make decisions that will affect the church, but also allow for the kingdom, for the gospel to be preached all over his, his domain. And all of a sudden this guy comes in and he's talking, oh, Paul, you're not. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, watch these words. But Paul was, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And in this moment, he spoke a few words that blinded that individual. And then the proconsul or the governor at that moment, he gave his life to the Lord and everybody in the region, there was revival that happened. But here it is. What I don't want you to miss is that Paul, who was filled, had been spilled and now all of a sudden now, we're talking about Acts chapter 13. And once again, Paul being filled. He gets filled again. So you see the constant, there's a constant filling. I want you to show you this because I think Paul, he understood what it was. But I think he also gave us a command. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17. This is all recap. This is all recap. I'm almost there. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How many of y'all want to know what the will of the Lord is? Don't be drunk with wine, for that is debaucherous, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the will of the Lord that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is desiring for you to not just be a Christian who has the Holy Spirit living inside of him that helps him to live a life as according to Galatians chapter 5, you live out the fruits of the Spirit. And I talked about it last week. He helps you to be able to be comforted. He teaches you. He brings things back to remembrance. You can go back and listen to the message of all the things that the Holy Spirit does when he's living inside of you. But then there comes a moment where we begin to get spilled. And this right here is what I want to talk about today. That, that right there, that little spilling, that's my hope and my desire that I would be able to unpack today here's what's happening this feeling whenever you get saved you get filled with the spirit the spirit lives inside of you right that's what happens I'm not talking about the the feeling that comes from salvation I want to show you something because Philip in um, Acts chapter 8 Philip has been preaching now to a bunch of individuals and all of these people have been saved they've given their life to Jesus meaning that they have been filled right 
They have been filled. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But watch what happens. Acts chapter 8 verse 14, it says, Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Yo, there is, a, there's an I mean, there was a revival that happened. Acts chapter 8, go back and read it. And it says, they had received the word of God that they sent the big guns. Somebody say the big guns. They sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as of yet had not had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they lay hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So these people had already been saved. They already had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But then all of a sudden, Paul, I mean, Peter and John, they lay hands on them for the receiving, for the filling because they had an assignment. Somebody say assignment. There was something that God wanted them to do and he needed to fill them for works. Acts chapter 19, I'm trying to show you the distinction between salvation, between having the Holy Spirit inside of you, indwelling, and then the spilling of the Holy Spirit for works, right? Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that, that Paul having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some of the, of the disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as ever heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said to him, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe, which is salvation, who should come after him, that is Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So what happened is that you have these brand new believers that all of a sudden they get filled and immediately they start to get spilled. And this, this little thing right here, the spilling, scripture right there denotes it or explains it, says they began to speak in tongues and they began to prophesy. The funny part about it is that the church is okay sometimes with the prophetic side because it's encouragement, edification, um, exhortation. We're good with that. But when we hear about tongues, it's like, oh, I don't know about that, buddy. That's that weird Shit about a Honda, E-D-D-I-E, that spells Eddie. You know what I mean? It's just, we, we get weird when it comes to that. And I, and I want to unpack it. I'm, I'm going to slow cook this thing. I'm going to slow cook this thing. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about all of these things in depth um, because it's hard for me to try to explain something that has taken individuals hundreds and hundreds of years to try to even remotely unpack and they still haven't been able to for me to take 30 minutes and explain it to you. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to do the best of giving it to you morsel by morsel so you don't walk out of here and throw up all over the place and all the nutrients that I've been trying to place inside of you now end up on the ground discarded. Second Corinthians chapter four, there's a switch. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he says to them, but we have this treasure. Somebody say treasure. treasure. We have this treasure in earthly vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and say these last three words, not of us, but we have this treasure in our earthly vessels, our bodies, that the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. What Paul was speaking about is, is this part, that, that part right there. That is the treasure that I'm going to try to unpack over the next few weeks. I'm going to definitely tackle today, but I want you to see this because this right here is what Paul was talking about. You ready? Let's read some Bible. Y'all want to read some Bible? First Corinthians chapter 12, 
verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be, use that word, ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Dumb idols, however you were led. What are some of those idols? I can't wait to unpack that. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking of the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. That's such a key in deliverance. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. To each one, that means each one. It doesn't skip them. Each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The very beginning of this thing, it talks about, it uses this word now concerning spiritual gifts. So it's the treasure that he was talking about. It's that, that spilling that he was talking about. And now what I want you to see is that that word, it means the spiritual gifts, it means charis. Somebody say charis. Uh, charisma. I'm sorry, say charisma. And charisma is not just, oh my God, he has a lot of charisma. Charisma is actually, if you, if you define the word, it actually means gift. It actually means a gift. And so when it's talking about these, these gifts, I, 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 want you, I want to explain to you what spiritual gifts are because when you hear the word charismatic, it becomes charismaniac. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you start to think of the person that tries to push your head down and screams and kicks over 14 tables and ah, oh, all of this stuff and just goes crazy in the church just to tell you that Jesus is coming. Bro, what? Right. <laughs> Give me a little bit more than that. I heard that my whole life. You just went crazy. You gave me a black eye to tell me that Jesus is coming, my guy. I need help me, bro. Help me. And so what we've relegated the word charisma or, or charis or the spiritual gifts is to that exposition of the flesh. But we have to understand that Paul, I just gave you the Bible. That wasn't Chino's international version. That was scripture. The reason I'm giving you so much Bible is because I want you to go back and listen and learn Learn for yourself, download this thing, and then demonstrate it, live this thing out. So here's what happens. All of a sudden, Paul begins to talk about these spiritual gifts, and he uses one word that he uses three times two scriptures, and I think in some of the most important parts, he uses the word ignorant. The word ignorant. Now that word has been used to hurt people and to break people, and I don't think that was his idea or what he was trying to say, but Paul does it three different ways. Paul says, do not be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. He says, we are not ignorant to the devices of the enemy or the plan of the enemy, but then he also says, we're not ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of the coming of the Lord and for you to, people who have passed away, for you to dwell on it and for you to hurt and for your heart to be broken the way that the world's heart is broken. And he gives us a key on how we can grieve in health. And Paul begins to talk about this moment that we're going to see those people. But, but this ignorant that he's talking about here, that word in the Greek is agneo. Everybody say agneo. That's an easy word. That's a fun word. Say it again. Agneo. 
I got OCD, y'all. It was there. It was like, hey, pick me up. <laughs> Agneo. Agneo is, is where we get the word agnostic. Now, here's what agnostic means. Agnostic means that I don't know if it's real or not. Agnostic is not atheist. Agnostic means I don't know if God is real or not. Like, I, honestly, I don't even care. I'm living my life. I'm working. I got a good job. I got a good salary. My wife loves me. My kids are good. Ah, oh, that God thing, let, let somebody else worry about it. And I don't believe that he's not real, but I don't believe that he is actually real. And so that's what the word agnostic means. And some of us were in that space, living life, living an agnostic lifestyle. My grandma talked about him, but I ain't, I'm not trying to deal with that. But then there's another word which is called atheist. And the word atheist means that I am stark against God. There is no such thing as a God. And for some of us in this room, whether we are atheists or whether we have lived a life of atheism where we believe what we didn't believe, which is still a belief, we didn't believe that God existed. For some of us, we came to the knowledge of Jesus through that. Lee Strobel wrote an incredible book speaking about how he was trying to prove that Jesus didn't exist. And in turn, God revealed himself to him in such a beautiful way. In the case for Jesus, case for Christ, that God revealed himself so beautifully to him. What happens is that we use these very same things. And I think Paul was using and measuring his words very correctly in saying agnaeo or agnostic. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be agnostic concerning spiritual gifts. That's what the church does. For some of us, we sit in the church house and we'll go to church. We pay tithes. We serve on a team. We do everything. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I'm trying to pay $7.99 for that little prayer cloth. You know, I don't want to do that stuff. Right. I, I don't want to get up there and have you shaking my head and me doing all of this weird stuff. And what happens is that we've gotten agnostic. And we just, I don't know if I believe in that. That's, that's for the birds. That's for somebody else. Like, I, I love Jesus. And guess what's going to happen? One day, you're going to cease to exist on this side of humanity. And you're going to die. Your eyes are going to open up in eternity and God is going to look at you straight in your face and he's going to tell you he loves you and he's going to say enter into his kingdom and he does love you and you will have access because salvation comes through Jesus, grace. That's how we enter. It's faith. God allows for us to go to heaven. But some of us, while we're on this side of eternity, man, I've lived some fun times, ain't it? I've seen God do some incredible things. I've seen suicidal individuals that were at the brink of giving up on their life. And I've watched as God has turned their life around. And now they're on platforms preaching the gospel of Jesus because we allowed for the spilling to begin yeah. to happen inside of their life. If you're going to clap, clap. Don't, don't give me no golf clap. We don't do the golf clap. What, what this, this spilling is. This, this spilling right here. Scripture says that it's broken up into three different areas. Um, these three different areas are, are going to get unpacked in a beautiful way. But I want to show you something. Because I know I got my Black Air Force Ones on, and these are denoted usually through culture as you're going to fight, or you can fight when you're wearing these shoes. Some people wear them and they can't fight, but God bless them. Um, I don't know why you're wearing them. Just take them off. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not here to fight. But, but what I do is that I, I want to address... Not the agnostic. And I'm, I'm going to explain to you and you're going to hear it. And man, if you haven't by these last few weeks, if you haven't gotten it, your getters are broken. Go back and listen to the messages. I want to help and I want to walk through you. I want you to understand that you have access to me. And if we got to sit down and we got to have a cup of coffee, let's go. If you want to go to Ruth Chris, I'm down too. <laughs> go to Longhorn, baby. <laughs> no, no, but, but you have access to me so that we can continue to have these conversations because I don't, I'm not, I don't shy away from them. Um, I've seen God do way too much. And, but what I do want you to understand is that I'm not here to fight with you. 
Um, I, I'm not here to prove something to you or like convince you of something. I'm trying to give you some information so that you can actually take it and actually apply it to your life. Do some homework. See if what I'm saying is really real. Go back and read these scriptures. Listen to it again because then all of a sudden it's going to get so deep-seated inside of you that it's going to transform you, your life, your legacy, your family. But you have to do the work. I, I can't baby feed you. I can give you the information enough for you to be able to go back and tackle this thing and really get into it. Um, there's a, there's a, a group of individuals um, that, that are just, when it comes to the, to the gifts of the Spirit, they're what we would call atheists. And the, the proper term or the theological term to that is cessationist. And cessationism means that the gifts have ceased and that it doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore. And if you're in this room, again, my job is not to fight with you, to convince you of anything or humiliate you or make you feel uncomfortable in your seat. I just want to give you another side. I'm not trying to let you dishonor your family, your legacy, what you learned, your past church. Yo, my, I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm just trying to give you and, and peel back a couple of layers. Let's just look at this thing together. Could it be? Could it be? Let's just, let's just look at this. Um... This is what happens. We have, we have these things called dispensations. And dispensations have been the way that God has dealt with man throughout all of eternity, right? So at the very beginning, you see the dispensation of innocence, right? So this is where God dwelt with man in the Garden of Eden. And then Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. So God was no longer dealing with them or interacting with them like he did in innocence. Now it happened through conscience. And so God had to deal with their consciousness. Hey, there's bad and there's good. Now God had to begin to move and help them in that space. Well, what happened was that these individuals, they got to a place where they started to think on their own and they created their own human governance where they said yo let's build up a tower we're gonna build up the tower of Babel and let's go touch God and let's just try to become like God let's get all the way up here and that is where God began to introduce human government or they he started to deal with them according to human government and then out of that all of a sudden now you have the the, the garden I mean I'm sorry the the, the Louvre the, the deluvio how do you say that in Spanish my words get confused the Noah's Ark when the rain came down and so out of that a few years later hundreds of years later God introduced a promise and that promise was to Abraham and what he said was that he chose a certain amount of people and he said this is how I'm going to deal with you my promised people I'm gonna give you a land I'm gonna empower you I'm gonna bless you amongst the nations so that the Gentiles everybody who's not a part of this crew I want them to be blessed as well but I'm gonna start with you and so it was the age of the promise or the dispensation of the promise out of that there was three children that he had one of them which went into this land as second and Pharaoh y'all remember the Prince of Egypt Joseph and out of that, they go into bondage for 400 years. Moses comes out, and then we see the dispensation of the law, where God introduces the law. And basically what it's saying is like, this isn't for you to stop loving me. This isn't for you to stop hanging and having fun. This is because I'm creating a gate as I do. I'm going to create a gate in my front yard because I don't want my kids to run out into the street and get hit by a car. They can have so much fun inside of this gate but I don't want them to get hurt outside of the gate. So God created the law, but the law was only a shadow of what was to come, which was called grace. Grace was introduced. Jesus fulfilled the law. Now he becomes the gate. The gate is not a location. The gate is living inside of us. Now we have this thing that we say, oh my God, I want it. My boss spoke to me super weird, or I'm at the gas station and the lady said, didn't you see me with that pump? And before you take your earrings off and snatch your shoes off, the Holy Spirit inside of you begins, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't hit her. Don't you do that. Fellas, y'all know what I'm talking about. When you just, you just feel it, you want to grab your kids and you want to throw them off a 14-story building. 
and you're just like, in the name of, I love you. Come here, let me hug you. And you got to apologize to them. And now you're, you're sitting at your cubicle at work and the Holy Spirit's inside of you said, you know you got to apologize. You said some unholy words and everybody heard those unholy words. God, too perfect. Amen. God bless y'all. That's just me. And the Holy Spirit sitting there telling you, go say sorry. Hey, man, listen, I just, I mean, I just want to apologize, man. I was out of character. That the grace of God is now living with us. And then, there, and then there's, there comes the other age, which is called the dispensation of the kingdom. And so the dispensation of the kingdom is when Jesus comes back to be able to rapture his, his, his church. What I want you to understand is that these three, they're three different areas. God dealt with man until Jesus. It was over 6,000 years. Jesus came in and he dealt with man for about 33 years and then he was crucified. And now we're in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit or it's what it's called the ecclesiastical age. And the ecclesiastical age, what happens is that cessationists, they divide the ecclesiastical age. This is theology. I told y'all we're coming to school. They divide it into two different ways. The pre-apostolic or the apostolic age and the post-apostolic age. So what they say is that the 12 disciples, 11 disciples that were with Jesus at the time that learned from him, they were the ones that housed the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were the ones that housed the miracles. So when you read all through scriptures, you see that they raised the dead. You see that people spoke in tongues and there was prophecy. All the stuff that you think is weird for some of us who are cessationists or who have come from that background, all of those things that we're like, oh my God, you can't do that. They did all of those things. I mean, they walked, and scripture says, I don't even know where my shadow is, back there somewhere. But their shadow, their shadow touched people and they were healed. Listen, I don't think they grabbed their sports coat and threw it, you know, and hadouk it, but I don't know. I'm not going to talk against that. God bless y'all. But so what happens is that they were divided. And so what they say was right in the middle of it, right? The ecclesiastic. What happens is that right in the middle of it, there was all of the gifts and all of the apostles. But then all of a sudden, there was the closing of canon or scripture that was introduced right in the middle of it. And once scripture came, now we are in the post-apostolic age where the gifts of the Spirit no longer exist. What we have is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. And so everything that we need for living is in the Bible. Can I tell you, everything we need to live is in the Bible. I've seen demons come out of people using the Bible. Not my words, the Bible. There's some of y'all that were evidence that y'all seen that just using the Bible and a demon has come out of a person in a really, really crazy way. Scripture, not a man. Not, oh, come out now in Jesus. The louder you scream. No, 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 the Bible. There is power in this Bible. This Bible has stopped me from being anxious, depressed. This Bible stopped me from living as a gang member. This Bible changed my life while I was sitting in prison with five years to my name. It was the scriptures that taught me not to go this way. It was the scriptures that helped me how to be a better husband. I'm not the best, but I'm learning. It taught me how to be a better father. It taught me how to be a better friend. It was the Bible, not a Bible college that sat there and taught me how to be a pastor. It's scripture, so please understand I'm not taking anything from it. This thing is huge. <laughs> but when it's used the right way, because I've also seen people take this and break people's spirits, take money from them. I've seen marriages fall apart, and I've seen divorce encouraged using this thing. I've seen individuals who love Jesus, who have found themselves in the feet of Jesus, who have given everything to it, and all of a sudden they've used this Bible to tell them that they're not the gender that they think they are. Come on, wow. I've seen people defend some pretty demonic things using the Bible. So I just want to give you another version. Somebody say another version. Another version. I don't know. Let's see. 
But the post-apostolic age, what they say is that all of a sudden, canon was introduced um, in, 20, in, in 397 AD. Um, the, there was this council of Carthage. And so what happens is that they, all the Bible, that, uh, I'm sorry, this Bible that we have right now, scriptures, it wasn't there. So what it was is all this New Testament, these guys started sending letters. Paul, which all the Bible that you're reading, those are just letters that he sent to the church. And so what they did was that they started sending all of these letters to all of these different churches. And they were like, yo, I'm going to send these letters to all these different churches. And then in 397 AD, after Jesus' death, they got together and they say, let's grab all of these different letters and let's create a Bible. Just like the Old Testament, let's create a New Testament so that we can actually live this thing out. And so what they say is that when they did that, at that very moment, all the gifts ceased. That's it. No more gifts. Now all we have is the Bible. And I want to show you the scripture that they use for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, which doesn't intimidate us. This is actually helping us to grow. Love never fails. But whether they are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect, somebody say perfect. perfect. Sound like Street Fighter. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So scripture is what they use in saying when that which is perfect, which is canon, the closing of scripture, then that which is in part will be done away. So prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish away. Hmm. So they close the scripture, and, and I want to give you just a quick run course uh, as nuns comes up. Watch this. At the Council of Carthage, they said, these are the four qualifications to close the Bible. You're in school today. What was the author? Was the author an apostle or have close connection with an apostle? Is the book being accepted by God, by the body of Christ at large? Did the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching? Did the book bear evidence? This is hilarious. Did the book bear evidence of moral, of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect the work of the Holy Spirit? So what happened, in order for them to see all of these things come alive, it had to be the Holy Spirit that gave testimony to these things. And if I'm honest with you, I feel like it's a poor exegesis of the scripture or an explanation, interpretation of the scripture to pull out the fact that when the perfect has come, and yo, the Bible, I think it's inerrant. It's the infallible word of God. I believe that it is. But, but the Bible is also going to be done away with. There's going to come a time where the Bible's not going to exist. Because it's not that the Bible is going to like, oh, disappear. It's that we're going to be with the word of God. That's right. We're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. We're not reading the scriptures. We're going to be in the scriptures. We're going to be living this thing. So this thing called the Bible is not going to exist. Some of y'all are like, Chino, you're teaching heresy. No, I'm teaching that I believe that there's a God just like you do that's going to rapture us. And guess what's going to happen? In that moment, we're going to have perfect knowledge. In that moment, all tears are going to be wiped away. In that moment, we're going to see Jesus as clearly as ever. We're not going to need the Bible. The Bible is going to be living inside of us. This flesh and blood, this bad memory. Some of y'all got bad, worse brains than the others. But all of that stuff is going to be gone. Y'all shouldn't be smoking so much weed when you were a kid. And so all of that stuff is going to be gone and you're going to have a perfect mind. This word is not going to exist. So if the Bible is closed... But the Bible is not, that's not the perfect. Then what is the perfect? I think that the gifts are going to cease when Jesus comes back. He's the only thing that is perfect. He's the only thing that's, I mean, I love the word of God. 
I, man, this, I'm telling you, I, I, I gave it props so that you can understand that I'm not discrediting it. But I think there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to return for his church and the gifts are not going to be needed anymore because the gifts are not for you to start your 501c3, your ministry, for you to sell stuff online. The gifts are for you to bring people to salvation so that those that are broken far from God will come to the knowledge of Jesus. They are used in tandem with the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that can save. The gifts were just demonstration to point people to the gospel. So my, my hope and my, my desire is that you would see this. And I, I mean, I got a little bit of time, but man, I, scripture says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Not my words. I will come to you. And I don't think he was talking about orphans as them. Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Behold, I send, use that word. I send a. Hey, do we got some coffee in the back? <laughs> Here we go. Ready? I will. Behold, I will, I send the of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 39. Peter, this was Jesus promising the promise, the Holy Spirit. And after the Holy Spirit has come, listen what Peter says. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive, everybody use those words, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. And for the promise. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. How many of y'all know we far off? But we still got the promise. For whomever the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise is available to us as believers. This promise is something that's living inside of you and you don't even know it. Lauren Kreitzer. Lauren Kreitzer. Um, this is a man who uh, he served in our military. Uh, he had some he had some issues and um, there was there was a there was some there was some stuff that happened to him and mental illness and all type of stuff. Um, he was losing his house. He moved in with his mom. Um, his 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 wife was gone. And and so he actually had to take his kids and he had to tell his grand his mother to take care of the kids because he didn't even have the money to be able to help them in that he gets into a really bad accident and he actually loses a leg. Um, and, and, and losing the leg isn't that it happened in the accident. I mean, it got hurt, it was bruised, it began to get infection and slowly but surely deteriorated to the point that they had to cut it off. I mean, this man was just living paycheck to paycheck. He was actually living in a home. He was making $800 a month. He was making $800 a month because of the VA. 600 of that money went to the, to the apartment building and he had to live with $200. How many of y'all think you can live with $200? But... I'm, my kids ain't here, right? Thank God. Sometimes they be asking me for money. I'm like, yeah, praise God. You can't live. You can't live with $200. It's, it's tough. The reason I say that is because some of our high school kids are like, give me $200 a month, please, please. They can live off that. Because you, I give you all your food. I give you your housing. Amen. <laughs> Lauren is in a really bad shape. And Lauren is sitting there in somebody else's house watching TV. And when he begins to watch TV, all of a sudden he sees, his mom had just died, by the way. So he just sees that there's this like, uh, there's this uh, carpet, uh, not carpet, it's like a, like a show, like a little uh, 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 blanket. It's a blanket. And he sees it on the TV and he's like, yo, that looks crazy. What was insane about it was that he was looking at a show that it was called Treasure Hunters. 
And when he sees the blanket, he's like, yo, that blanket looks really close to the one that my mom left. She used to get the kittens and she used to put the blanket down and the baby, when the cat had babies, the little kittens would fall and that's how she would catch the kittens. And so he's like, yo, that thing looks really close to the one that my mom has. The story gets better. They sell it on there for $500,000. And so he's like, hold up. So he goes and he goes to his, to his closet and he's like looking at the blanket. He's like, man, this thing looks, this is a weird texture, ugly blanket. We just had it there. The only reason I didn't give up because it reminds me of my mom. And he says, man, he takes it and he takes it to an individual who does testing of antiques. That guy was blown away like, yo, hold on one second. You need to go across town. And he went across town. I'm going to make this story short because we got to go to next steps. That man sold that blanket for one $1.5 million. Can you put up a picture of what that blanket looked like and this individual? That man sold that blanket for $1.5 million. His entire life has completely changed. This man got his kids back. He bought a motorcycle. He always wanted a Harley, so he got a motorcycle. He ain't getting no kids' shoes. He got the motorcycle first. God bless him. <laughs> $1.5 million. Could it be? That some of us have been living this life, man, just tortured by the enemy. We're wondering why our cousins don't come to Jesus. We're wondering why our family members are so far. We walk into our jobs and we're like, man, I hate this place. God, get me out of this place. Put me in ministry. I want to be in full-time ministry. Could it be that God has actually put something inside of you already that you are already in full-time ministry and all you need to do is that you just need to be spilled. You just got You got a treasure living in your closet and you don't even know about it. And you're living this life like this when God has placed so much more inside of you. Could you have a 1.5 million? Some of y'all are going to go back to your closets and look. Let me see what my grandma left me. I seen a blanket up in my attic. I know that it might, it smell weird. But, but you have that treasure living inside of you. And God is just desiring to take that treasure from inside of you and use it to be able to reach a broken and hurting world. I said this last week and I'll say it again. What if, what if this thing called Christianity is much more than you just living faithful, holy lives? What if there's an assignment over your life? What if you really got something sitting inside of you that can come out of you and reach a generation that you don't have to complain on Facebook or listen to the complainers on Facebook, but that you can be action that God has developed to change this world. But then there's another group in here that you're on the other side of that. And if I'm honest with you, this is, this is sometimes what you feel like. Life has drained you took every bit of your dreams, your hopes. I mean, you just feel empty to the point, honestly. You just feel dry. And you're just, man, I just need water. Today, I want to introduce you to the living water. I want to introduce you to a Jesus that says, come to me if you're thirsty and I will give you to drink. A Jesus that will actually take all of the goodness of him. He will take everything bad of you. So this is, this is what salvation is. So what's salvation? Some of us, some of us, I could fill this thing up. Some of us have made, anybody never sinned before? Okay, awesome. We've done some pretty stupid stuff and our life is filled with sin. And so this is what it looks like for us. We, man, we're carrying around the junk everywhere we go. Yeah, I got an abortion. Yeah, I slept with him when I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, I lied on, the I lied on here. I did that. 
I stole, I shouldn't, I did this, and we're carrying all of this stuff, and because we sinned, because we made a mistake, all of a sudden we think we are a mistake, and we're just walking around every relationship. I'm gonna break this relationship the way that I break every other one. I'm gonna go into this job, and I'm gonna mess it up. They're gonna fire me sooner or later, so whatever. I'm just gonna carry it into this. And you're carrying around this sin, and today Jesus is wanting to take that from you. For if you are tired, I will give you rest. If you are heavy laden, put your burdens on me, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is what the cross of Jesus is, that God will take all of your sins. He who knew no sin became sin, right? So this is what happens. All of your sin got placed on Jesus. And on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He forsook you because he had chino sins on him. He didn't die for you. He died as you. He had your sin. But the beauty of the gospel is that not only will he take your sin, he forgive you, he will save you, but everything good about him, all of his righteousness, all of his goodness, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 25, 21, it says, don't you understand? Don't you get this thing yet? He who knew no sin became sin. But then everything good about Jesus, he became sin so that you may become the righteousness of God. So everything good about Jesus, now you're carrying it around. I got joy in my heart. I got forgiveness in my heart. I got salvation in my heart. I got the spirit of the Lord. I got the joy that turns into strength. I got Jesus living with me. Now when you walk into places, people start to see you differently. Yo, you're carrying something differently. You're carrying Jesus. Today we want to be able to afford that to you. Would you do me a favor and would you close your eyes and bow your head? Thanks for listening to our podcast today. The mission of Greater Church is to reach and empower all people. And we hope that this message met you wherever you find yourself on the journey. If God is using this ministry to impact your life, please head to our website at www.greater.church where you can read a message from our pastors, partner with us by giving online, and learn more about what is happening in the life of our church. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on all social media.